Ecclesiastes chapter number one, beginning with verse number 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. My name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. It is our joy, our privilege, our honor to have each and every one of you with us on this morning. Obviously, you could have went to a number of different churches here this morning, but you decided to worship with us, and we don't take that lightly, so we say thank you, thank you, thank you. There is a handful of you who, for a grade, you had to be here this morning, so we thank you for being here this morning as well. We have some friends with us, ha, from friends uh, who are with us this morning, so thank you guys so much for being with us, and we look forward to being with you on Tuesday. Ecclesiastes chapter number one, beginning with verse number 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that, that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. Till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the, the light of the sons of man. Verse 9, chapter 2. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. And what my, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, 
for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what, what happened to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, saying that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. Mick Jagger, who was a member of the Rolling Stones, said, satisfaction was my view of the world, my frustration with everything. He said, I became disgusted with America and its advertising syndrome, the constant barrage. One morning, 
Keith Richards, his partner in the Rolling Stones, awoke, and he couldn't get this tune out of his head. Had this tape recorder, it was acoustic guitar, and he started strumming, humming, shared it with the team, and Mick Jagger went and added some lyrics to this song that later became one of the top 500 songs of all time. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. There you go. There you go. Y'all ain't say. <laughs> Friends, that is the tone and mood and thought of our text today. The preacher who last week we said is King Solomon. He's the convener, the assembler, the preacher. He's on this search for satisfaction. And he's going to learn that he can't get no satisfaction out of the things of this world. And so this morning, join me as I join the preacher on this satisfaction experiment. Why do we call it an experiment? Because in verse 13, he says, I tried to search and, and he investigated all the things done under the sun. He, he's going to go through multiple tests to find the meaning to life to find his soul satisfaction. So all we're doing this morning is going on, in, on a satisfaction experiment. Let's look at the first section, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Let's look at the course of this experiment, the course of the experiment. He first gives us his intent in this section. The preacher's intent or his goal in this experiment is to understand everything that is done under the sun. That phrase, under the sun, is, is one that we see multiple times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And by under the sun, he simply means on the earth. His hope is that by understanding everything on the earth, he will be able to unlock the key to life. His intent is to find satisfaction for his soul. The question that he, that he wants to be answered, that longs to be answered in his soul is, is there any satisfaction in life on earth? This, this preacher's soul is restless. He's simply searching for rest for his soul. That's the intent. What's the instrument that he will use in the course of this experiment? Verse 13, he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out, here it is, by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. Wisdom, he says, will be the primary instrument or the primary tool for conducting this satisfaction experiment. Now watch this. Verse 12, he says, I was king over Israel in Jerusalem. In other words, he's letting you know that as I conduct this experiment, I'm going to use everything at my disposal. 
He says, I'm the king. I got mad money, all kinds of people, and whatever I say has to be done. And so he's going to use everything at his disposal during this satisfaction experiment. Now, one thing you should know about the wisdom here in this section. This, this is not godly wisdom. This is worldly wisdom. There is no mention of God once the experiment begins. You'll see it in chapter 2. This is what we can call under the sun wisdom. He's going to use the wisdom of man in order to try to find his soul satisfaction. We see the intent. We see the experiment. He even shares with you, let me give you my impression now from this experiment. Verse 13, he says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What's interesting there is when he says it's an unhappy business, the Hebrew word there is ra, which literally means, R-A, it literally means evil. It's an evil thing. A bad thing and a moral thing that God has given the children to be busy with. He says, I have seen everything done under the sun and behold, it's vanity. And they're striving after the wind. Verse 17, he says it again, striving after the wind. His impression is that after using all the wisdom of the world for finding meaning and satisfaction on earth, pointless. He, he says it's a striving after the wind. In other words, he said it's, it's like trying to grab hold of the wind. It's impossible. It's irrational. Well, let's get to the experiment now. Chapter 2. This is going to be fun. We see the experiments course, but then in the second section, verses 1 through 23 of chapter 2, his, the experiment is actually conducted. The first test in this satisfaction experiment, in his search for meaning, he says, I'm going to experiment with pleasure. Pleasure. He's, he decided, he says, I'm going to live large. He, he decided, I'm not going to deny myself any of the pleasures of the world. We call him a hedonist. A hedonist is one who believes that pleasure and happiness is the ultimate good. Pleasure and happiness is all there is to live for. Look at what the preacher does. He's, he makes his own personal happiness the chief end of life. The first thing he does as he pleasures himself is he says, I cheered my body with wine. Now, the, the, the text never says he got drunk. He may have. He may have not. It, we don't know. But he turned to the bottle. He turned to this drug, alcohol, to pleasure himself. And the truth be told, not much has changed. Oftentimes, men and women still turn to the bottle to find fulfillment. It's a way to escape 
reality. Can he find any satisfaction in alcohol? He would say, I can't get no. There you go. You can help me preach this thing. So when the alcohol wouldn't work, he says, let me start a building project. That's what we like to do. Let's build buildings. Verse 4 through 6, he says, I made great works. I built houses and, and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He lived the lifestyle of the rich and famous. This, this preacher made better homes and gardens. Look at this. He, he's an architect, a builder, an engineer, a developer. He's trying to regain paradise. He, this building project for the preacher was to be heaven on earth. Could he get any satisfaction? Y'all can help me preach this thing. Alcohol doesn't work. Remember, this is the pleasure part. This building project doesn't find him any satisfaction. So he says, but you know what? I've got wealth. Look at the text. text says he bought for himself slaves, workers. And the text says that these slaves that he bought for himself ended up having children. The significance is that under Hebrew law, if a slave had a child, while they were under the control of another master, the child became permanent property of the master. So even if the parents were set free, the children had to stay. So now he's growing, his wealth is growing and growing. He's got all these worker bees. He's got workers to wait on him hand and foot. Not only did he have a ton of slaves, but he said, I also had more herds and flocks than any other person that ever lived. This, this preacher has an unfathomable, unfathomable amount of money, but he still couldn't find no satisfaction. Not only did he delight himself with alcohol and buildings and gardens and possessions, hey, 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 last but not least, let's see, physical intimacy since this family Sunday. Look at what it says in verse 8. He says, I have many concubines, the delights, hey, 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 of the sons of man. You may be sitting there saying, Brandon, what's a concubine? A side piece. See, now you know what I'm talking about. A mistress. And we know from Solomon's history that he had 300 concubines and 700 wives. That's a bad brother. The Lord, the one I have is a gift from God. Uh-huh, you thought I was going to mess up, didn't you? This preacher had every kind of woman a man could ever want. What is the outcome, then, of this 
pleasure experiment, verse 11. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. Striving after the wind, nothing to be gained. This preacher, this preacher tried wine, women, wealth, and none of it could satisfy his soul. None of it could bring rest to his restless soul. And friends, even today, we should learn from the preacher that wine, women, and wealth cannot bring satisfaction to the soul. Look, we, last week as we talked about this word vanity, we said it can, the, the, it can be translated meaningless, worthless, nothing. We also said it can be translated vapor or smoke, but one of the less used uh, ways that one of the less used translations for this word vanity is idle. Women, wine, wealth all became idols because he's got this hole in his soul and he's trying to fill this hole in his soul with the things of this world. And he learns that they are all just smoke and vapor. Well, he says, I'm going to test myself with pleasure. He learns that that's all vanity. He says, well, let me try philosophy since pleasure doesn't work. Philosophy, that's the love of wisdom. Verse 12, he says, so I can Turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Now, wisdom here, remember we said this is not God's godly wisdom. This refers to the best of human thinking. As we look at verse 12, he says, I can turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. I don't want you to think there are three things there. It's really wisdom and it can be uh, translated mad folly. So there's two things there. Madness and folly are synonyms. There's two things that, are, that he's considering. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates in, in his message translation. He says that the preacher decided to consider what's smart and what's stupid. So what does the preacher learn from this experiment with wisdom and folly? Look at this. He starts by affirming wisdom. In verse 13 and 14, he says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. All of a sudden, it seems like the tone of the passage changes. Because he talks about how all is stupid, how all is vanity, all is striving after the wind. And now he actually has something positive to say. He says, he gives us a brief glimmer of hope. He says, it's better to be wise than to be foolish. He says, at least if you're wise, you know where you're going. Because the foolish person walks in darkness. So it sounds like the preacher has finally found something that can give him satisfaction. And then he reflects. He, he zooms out and he says, let me take a big picture view. 
As soon as he gives us some hopes, he just smashes it. He says the same event happens to them all. He, he, he makes sure we know that the wise are not exempt from negative events. The wise and the foolish have debilitating illnesses. The wise and the foolish experience suffering. The wise and the foolish experience catastrophe. Both the wise and the foolish will one day be forgotten. He says, most of all, the wise and the foolish both will die. Death, it's the great equalizer. Death is no respecter of persons. Death reminds us that life under the sun is temporary. Therefore, we can't find meaning and satisfaction from the things that are temporary. What's the preacher's conclusion? Look at verse 17. He gives us something new here. He says, so I hated life. Can you hear the bitterness Friends, this is what happens when you live life for yourself. This is what happens when you live life apart from God. You begin to hate life itself. You become depressed and you live in despair. The, 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 the preacher has one simple message for us this morning. There is no meaning in life apart from God. He goes on to say, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And how often are we too like Solomon and try to accumulate more and more wisdom, more and more knowledge? There are some people who have to be the expert in the room. They have to be the smartest person in the room. Others are preoccupied with getting degree after degree after degree. And, the, and, and here he is, and I know we've got students in here today, that he reminds us that there is some good, there is value in being wise. There is value in learning. But he says, don't make these good things ultimate things. If your degree defines you, it's vanity. It's a vapor. It will not provide satisfaction for your soul. He tries pleasure in this experiment. He tries philosophy. He says, well, let me just try to be productive then. So we move from pleasure to philosophy to productivity. He says, one thing we can say about this preacher is that he's persistent. <laughs> he, he refuses to give up. Pleasure failed him. Philosophy failed him. He says, well, I'll just try to be productive. I'm just going to work hard. He's going to work harder, try hard, because, you know, we're Americans. All you have to do to be successful in life is just work harder. He says the problem with being a workaholic is that everything you work for is going to be left to somebody else. And whoever you leave it to, you don't know if they're going to be wise or foolish. 
You leave your best stuff to them, next thing you know, they're having an estate sale. You've worked all, you've done all this work, accumulated all this stuff in life. Those knuckleheads just going to sell it. They're the very things that you've worked so hard for. And he's going to talk to us more about work later on. But he says, that right now, he says, the very things that you work for are going to end up being enjoyed by somebody else. So he took us the long way around to give us this finally. We see the experiments course. We see the experiment conducted. What's the experiment's conclusion? And I'm on my way home now. We'll be right in time for the game. Now, that is not vanity. <laughs> he helps us. We heard, when we heard this last week, since the answer to finding satisfaction in life, to finding meaning in life is not under the sun, the answer must be above the sun. I'm preaching up in here, up in here. He, he, he no his perspective changes. He takes off his worldly glasses and he puts on his eternal glasses. Verse 24, he says, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment, the preacher teaches us that you can have joy under the sun. But that joy has to originate from heaven. He says you can have joy from eating and drinking and working because it's all a gift from God. Friends, God wants us to enjoy his creation. I think there are three lessons that the preacher desires for us to know. Then we'll be done. First, his, his primary point is don't live life apart from God. The preacher has made it clear, abundantly clear, that life apart from God is meaningless. He says it's smoke. It's a vapor. It's pointless. He says, however, a life surrendered to God can bring joy and meaning and, and satisfaction. Now, 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 let me be very clear. That does not mean that it all will be hunky-dory. That doesn't mean that life with God will that, that life with God will be free of trouble. No, 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 no. When you get on God's team, you enter spiritual warfare. And we have an enemy that is real. And he will come with you with everything he has. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But even in the midst of trouble, you can still have joy. Oh, we don't like that in church. The, the, here's how James said it. He said, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. See, notice that I use the term joy, not happiness. Because you've heard it before, but let me preach it to you in case you haven't. Happiness is based on happenings. But joy is much deeper. It, it's something in the... It, it, listen... You can uh, uh, experience storms, heartache, and pain and still have joy. You'll find out in the life, at your weakest moment, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. 
Because don't live life apart from God. Because now you can really enjoy the things here on earth. Don't live life apart from God. And you may be here today and you may be wondering, so how can I live a life connected to God rather than apart from God? Friends, the only way to be connected to God, to be right with God, to be united with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God. I told you before that Jesus is the selfie of God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that we could be reconciled with our maker, our creator, our father. Jesus died our death. Jesus assumed our penalty so that we could have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled with our maker. Don't live life apart from God. But then watch this. He liberates us. He says, though things are meaningless under the sun, once you have an above-the-sun perspective, now you can enjoy God's good gift. Enjoy God's good gift. Wine, women, wealth, in and of themselves, are not evil things. The only amen I heard was from my wife at the back. These friends, the preacher says, are gifts from the very hand of God. God expects us to enjoy these good gifts in moderation and not abuse them. And we ought to use these good gifts according to how God has said we should use them. Think about it. Take wine. The Bible has given us boundaries about how to enjoy wine. The Bible says, don't get drunk with wine. That's the boundary. Ooh, <laughs> y'all like the preacher said what now? Let me make something very clear. Everything that God has created, he gave it to us to enjoy. It's for our good and his glory. Now, we live in a fallen world. And now because we live in this fallen world and we, we are sinners, we take God's good things and make them bad things when we don't use them the way God has prescribed. God says, here is wine. It's, I, I'm going to give it to you. Watch this. Paul, come here, Paul. Come here, Paul. He, he's talking to his mentee, his uh, 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 Timothy. Timothy obviously has stomach issues. I think he was lactose intolerant. <laughs> and here's what he says to Timothy. A little wine is good for your stomach's sake. Okay, y'all don't like Paul. Let me see Jesus. Normally that works. <laughs> Jesus is at this wedding at Cana, and they, they have them a good old time. Jesus has been invited to the wedding. They, they, they drinking wine, and then they run out. She liked this illustration. I'm going to her house. <laughs> and they come to Jesus. Jesus, we out of wine. What are we going to do? Jesus says, fill these water pots up with some water. And Jesus turns the water into the best wine. They're like, why you wait till now? We, gonna, we all tippy, uh, tipsy now. You're going to bring out the good stuff now? 
these things are good when we use them God's way. Now, let me make something very clear because I follow all these theologians and these really smart preachers and stuff on Twitter, and there's, there is some in, in um, these theologians who believe that wine is evil and you shouldn't even sip it or anything. Now, God expects us to exercise wisdom when it comes to alcohol. If you know you can't handle it, stay away from it. Now, but we cannot take this one thing that man abuses and say we should never use it. Because if we apply that standard to alcohol, we've got to apply it to everything else. That means, men, if you're married, don't touch your wife. Because we abuse that too. Pornography. We've got a part. Don't eat. Because people abuse food. We have to exercise wisdom here. I'm going to liberate you right now because there is some liberty that we have that we think we don't have. Now, I'm going to teach the whole council. And in order to teach the whole council, I've got to tell you that what God said is good. He doesn't want us to abuse it. That's why he says, don't get drunk with wine. Drunkenness is a sin, church. All right, I ain't going to get no help. I thought somebody would be helping me here. That's why, watch this, 70% of y'all going to go out and get some wine as soon as this is over at brunch. I know. Y'all won't say amen. Y'all don't want nobody to know. I understand. <laughs> I know. We're in church. But you take, you take, you take uh, a physical intimacy. A gift from God. Watch this. He gave this to us before the fall ever happened. He makes man, makes woman. His first command to them is to be fruitful and multiply. Help me preach this thing, preacher. That's the first time you said something all service. <laughs> How other, the way that God has designed for man and woman to be fruitful is through physical intimacy. No fall, no sin on the earth, and God says, I'm giving this to you. Watch this, for my glory. And so this is what God says. He's going to give us some boundaries now. He says, I've given this to you for my glory, your good, your enjoyment, but only in marriage is the bed undefiled. Woo! Half of y'all ain't showing up next Sunday, I know, I know. Just leave me a good offering this Sunday. Boundaries. God says, here it is. It's a good thing. I'm giving it to you. But it's to be between one man and one woman in marriage. That's how you enjoy God's good gifts. It's when we go outside of God's boundaries that these things become evil under the sun. Now let me give you some gospel. Because this is one of those uh, easy, repeated sins in the church. And the preacher that preaches to you has committed the sin of not uh, doing it within God's boundaries. Jesus died for that too. Because there are some of you, you live with this guilt and this shame. You walk around with it. Jesus died for that baby. It, it has been buried. And now you can rise a new person in Christ. Listen, if I was in a chocolate church, we'd be shouting right now. 
Nothing extra. Money, wealth. It's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. The Bible never condemns money. It's when we love it and worship it that it becomes evil and condemned. I told y'all all before, I want you to make a whole lot of money. And the church said, and I want you to tithe off after that. Amen. <laughs> God has given us money. It's a good thing. He gives us money to fund his kingdom program, to share with others in need, and to provide for our household. I gave you an order, by the way. I was intentional about that. Here's where the Bible starts to condemn money. The love of money is the root of all evil. You can't serve God and money. You got to love the one and hate the other. There's no space for both in the same heart. This is what the preacher's trying to say. He's trying to tell you, when we use it, when we take these things that God has given us, they're gifts from God, he wants us to enjoy them under the sun. But we've got to enjoy them the way God has prescribed. Finally, I think the preacher wants us to please God rather than self. Where did I get that from? When we look back at the actual experiment in chapter 2, the experiment of pleasure, philosophy, productivity, here's what he says in chapter 2. Just listen to me. L listen to the pronoun. I cheered my body with wine. I built houses and gardens for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I made myself pools. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. He was living for himself. He became the focus of his life. He became his own God. He existed to please himself. Friends, this only led to despair for the preacher. He says it's vanity. Friends, we will always be unhappy, displeased, and unfulfilled when self-pleasure is our ultimate goal. We were not created for ourselves. We were created by God for God. And we live counter to the reason for our existence when we make our own pleasure, our own good, the chief end. That's why we can never be satisfied. That's why we can never be fulfilled. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Friends, we were created to please him. We were created to worship him. And until we live life for him, our lives will be utterly meaningless. Worship team, you can come back.